the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. I want to hold you. I want to hold you till you come. I want to fold you up like origami and hold you in my palms. I want to hold you. I want to hold you on. Welcome to the marinade. Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 106, and our guest is Stephen Deusner. Stephen is the author of the wonderful biography about the drive-by truckers called Where the Devil Don't Stay. The truckers might be my favorite band of all time, and this book captures the essence of their appeal and importance. Stephen's work regularly appears in Uncut, No Depression, Pitchfork, The Bluegrass Situation, Bandcamp Daily, American Songwriter, and many other publications. I was so excited to read this book and then to have the pleasure of speaking with Stephen. Even if you're not a fan of the truckers, there's just a lot to love about this book. It's masterful storytelling. There's a lot to love about this conversation. We really went deep on process uh, and just had a great time. The music you're hearing is I Want to Hold You from Jay Gonzalez's record, Back to the Hive. In addition to his work on keys and guitars and drive-by truckers, Jay makes beautiful solo records, so check that out. Everyone, it's such an honor. I'm so excited to bring you my conversation with Stephen Deuce. Amen. Like plugging, everybody's plugging things in, messing with their setting. <laughs> it takes 15 minutes to get started. This is amazing. <laughs> hey, that's great. I'm, I'm at my uh, my uh, wife's family's house today. So, the fact that I could get all this together in a foreign new place is, uh, I'm I'm pleased with myself. That's, that I, never happens on my end either. I am impressed, and um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, half the time it's my fault. Half the time I like have some setting wrong but um uh, yeah and i appreciate you taking time away from family to hang out with us and talk and dude i'm so excited to talk to you i'm really looking oh, forward man. to this thank you no I'm, i i appreciate the interest and the, all the kind words you've said about the book and been looking forward to talking with you and thank you as well for sending that piece about patterson uh this morning i just read that and it was very powerful and and it's funny that we I don't know. It's like place also plays such a big role in, in, in what you wrote. So it was kind of interesting reading that. Well, thank you. Uh, place is something I definitely want to talk about, obviously with the book, the book's wonderful. Um, I absolutely love it. I got my copy um, right here and I, I read it in like no time. And um, it was, uh, but it was one of those, I say no time. It was one of those I spent a, a fair amount of time just dissecting because First of all, the subject matter, right? I love the drive-by truckers. Um, secondly, the way you approached it, go, really going through place and using place as a vehicle to examine such an important band. And then also the thing that I mentioned in the review of your book that folks can find on, over on marinadepodcast.com is 
just like what a great fucking storyteller you are you're like you're just a great storyteller and so even if you're not into the truckers or um maybe not even not into music biographies so to speak like it just from a storytelling standpoint it's it's really well done so once again thank you so much for this amazing book oh man i appreciate it that's that just that's music to my ears i i, I love hearing that I, I i appreciate when people get it when people read it and appreciate sort of a a different kind of approach yeah because i think if it was not good i would still probably have read it you know what i mean like if if, if somebody had read a not so good biography of the truckers i'd be like well I'm, I'm interested in the story anyway like um but thankfully it was it was excellent i'm curious about that i'm curious about like you know you've got quite the resume and um i'm curious about your career uh, before we get into the book and sort of like when you knew, hey, I, I have an aptitude for this writing thing. I'm, I'm I might be okay at it, and uh, and then at what point you were like, not only am I pretty good at this, but maybe I'm going to pursue this. Well, first, I'm, I'm sometimes I'm not even sure I have an aptitude for it. Uh, some days are, you know, obviously a little harder than others, but uh, you know, I kind of. I kind of just stumbled into all of this. It, it was not a, a directed uh, thing that, oh, I want to get into music writing, uh, mainly because I just thought of it as a closed circuit from where I came from. Um, you know, my first music writing job was just because I had, I knew the guy who became the music editor at the Memphis Flyer. He was a friend of mine. And so he was like, you want to write for me? And I was like, yeah, of course I want to get albums before they drop and i want to i want free stuff you know like i of course like i want the power to make or break uh careers just with a <laughs> hundred word you know not not really but um and but what really kind of um pushed me into this realm was that my wife is an academic she's an art historian mm -hmm. and she after she got done with uh, the class aspect of graduate school and she was writing her dissertation she took on a lot of different fellowships and jobs around the country and so we moved a lot and so we would be in like New York for a year and it's kind of hard to get a good job when you're thinking you're only going to be somewhere for a year so I thought well I can I can get by doing this I can just write I can do freelance for a living and um you know, I thought of it as a temporary thing and it just, I kept getting more publications under my belt and more assignments and um, it just kind of turned into a permanent thing. So um, there was, I mean, I kind of always had this dream, but I never really thought of it as a, a thing that I could do for a living. Uh, so I, I feel very fortunate in that regard. That's really interesting, man, because I think like when you I mean, you've written with, you know, no depression, pitchfork, like all the all these names that I think of as like big names in, in music um, journalism. And I, I'm it sounds like it, the way you tell it, it almost sounds like you're just sort of like, well, I just did the thing kind of. But there had to be moments along the way where you were. I would imagine that you were, you know, reaching out to pitch, to Pitchfork or to No Depression or to whoever. Like, what did that work look like? And because I think a lot of times, folks 
that sort that I talk to who who kind of like stumble into it, so to speak, or sort of like yeah. do it, you know, it, the way that you just described. It's there's like a um, there's a real tendency to have an imposter syndrome, you know. And so I wonder if you if you were up against that at all, and and how you overcame it, or if you were like, hey, maybe this is part of you recognize like I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> I <clears throat> excuse me, imposter syndrome is. I mean, that's a very astute diagnosis because that's what I had. I mean, getting into it. I mean, I'm from a small town in that nobody's ever heard of. Um, you know, I, I I didn't go to journalism school. I didn't intern anywhere special. Like I, you know, I I did feel like I was not, you know, prepared to really come into this industry. I, but it, it was it was it took me a while to realize that that was actually an advantage as opposed to a disadvantage that I, that gave me a different voice than other people had. Um, and, you know, I just, I really tried to take advantage of the opportunities that came my way. And I, I had a rule for a long time that uh, basically anything that came my way, I said, yes, it didn't matter if, I didn't have the time to do it. It didn't matter if it was just not convenient or whatever. I just said yes, and I made it work out. And I think that kind of helped establish some rapport with some editors. Um, Pitchfork was weird because the only time in history that they've done a an open call for new writers. Um, I think it was up for like a week. I sent in a review, a spec review of a Lucero album which is not definitely not in their wheelhouse. And I think it took six months for them to get back to me. And they said, yeah, we'd like you to write for us. And uh, I just didn't go anywhere for like 15 years. So, um, so it was just kind of like, I just, I feel like it was just a matter of just seizing those opportunities and, 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 you know, with no depression and some of these others, it was very targeted. It's just sending out a very formal letter introducing myself and making a pitch. Um, and I'm so bad at that. I'm, I'm really bad at self-promotion. Um, but, you know, I guess it, I guess it worked out and, and, you know, writing for no depression was, I mean, I, in, in my twenties, when that magazine was kind of at its, at its uh, peak during the all country movement, that's what I, that was my Bible. So to get my byline and no depression was just, mind-blowing i felt like i had arrived yeah for sure i oh man i love all of this so it's funny because i was just i've been rearranging my studio and just like end of year kind of like getting rid of stuff i don't need and moving things around and trying to make things more comfortable and like recognizing all this stuff and, I, and it's so funny you mentioned lucero because i just happen to have this <laughs> lucero sticker and i have this old lucero shirt that from a show that i went to in like 2006 um and I have this shirt and it's like, back then I was a lot heavier. And so like, it doesn't fit me anymore. It's tattered and I was just holding on to it. Like, it's just that memory that I don't want to let go of, you know? Um, but that's really interesting to me that, that with the pitchfork thing, first of all, like what a turn of like fortune that you happened to notice they had this call and that you made that pitch. And then the, the review though, in that moment, like, had you already written that review or when did you see that, that call and go like, I'm going to, I need something to send to them. It was, I need something to send to them. Uh, I, I, I knew 
I knew I wanted to get something that had not been reviewed already. And uh, I figured Lucero was a, a pretty good bet. And I also wanted to get something that, you know, God forbid this actually go through and work out. That would be something that would be kind of representative of my tastes and my, what the, the area I would like to specialize in at that time. And, and so I, and also weirdly enough, I had just moved out of Memphis and I don't know if it was homesickness or what, but when I was in Memphis, I kind of liked Lucero, but I could give or take. They played a lot. They were just starting out. But when I left Memphis and heard that much further west, it was just like my head exploded. It was just like, this is an album that I've been looking for. And I mean, one of my favorite records for drums, I mean, the drums on that record are so crazy. Um, so it, it was sort of a maybe... In retrospect, maybe it was a bit of planting my flag in a certain kind of territory of what I wanted to do if if this worked out in any kind of long-term way. That is so interesting, man. I, I think sometimes, you know, I, I am from Kentucky originally, but grew up in Florida. And um, when Lucero came to me, I guess that would have been around like 2000 three is when I first heard Lucero, probably something like that three, maybe four. Um, and there, and, and I think I can relate to what you just said in, in maybe a different way. And that certainly they are so synonymous with Memphis, but also just that sort of Appalachia kind of that whole like Kentucky, you know, Tennessee kind of like, that whole part of the world, I think there's something where even though I didn't grow up there, I really grew up in Florida, there yeah. is something about that place that continues to call me back. And there is something about that place that is like in in the bones. And I'm not an overly spiritual person, but I, I do think there is almost like a spiritual quality to the connection I feel to that place. And I think that's what I connected with about Lucero and then also with the drive-by truckers. I mean, I totally agree. I mean, when I go back, to Tennessee and, and, and Alabama, uh, it, 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 is a, it is almost a physical sensation to be back in those places and in that part of the world. And I'm, I'm, it's something I've been trying to explore in, in a way that doesn't like ruin the magic of it. There's just something about being there and, and the music that's made there, obviously the truckers are there, but the shoals. Um, it, it's funny, and this is a little bit off the subject, but uh, Jeff Nichols, which is Ben Nichols' brother, he's one of my favorite filmmakers, and he did a movie called uh, Midnight Special. Have you seen that? I haven't seen. It. I've seen a lot of his work. I haven't seen that. It's kind of a like a sci-fi chase movie through the South, and it's filmed in the South. And that is such a like after seeing what you know, growing up on Dukes of Hazard and seeing California portray Georgia in a way that does not make sense at all and is not persuasive at all there was a shot in that where he's going down this road that is obviously in the south that is obvious it, it reminds me of a stretch of highway between Selmer, where i grew up and shiloh where my dad is buried and i saw that and i almost started crying because it was just something that you just you don't see in film very often the south actually get to portray itself the and, and, and in a way that is that familiar and that that uh, that reminds me so much of home that that it's a simple shot. It's there's nobody even in the shot, 
but it just had a huge impact on me in the, in the way that you're describing that your connection to Kentucky. Man, what you just said about that from from Jeff Nichols is what I get from your book. That I think you so okay. expertly uh, captured what you just said in the book. It jumps off of every page. Oh, then I, my work's done. I'm I'm uh, you know I'm calling it a day because if if that's what I did with this book, then that's that means more than anything else. You're wrestling with the duality of the Southern thing, as Patterson says in the book, it really, you really do it justice. And I, and I think there are a few things I, I really want to put a pin in this because I want to ask you a little bit more about like music uh, criticism. Um, But I do want to make sure we don't forget this. (laughs) It's like that, that um, cat, especially when you, and this is as a Florida boy who considers Jacksonville his adopted home is that, that's the Skinner tie-in and the way that you talk about the influence of Skinner and sort of like the duality of Ronnie Van Zant, And that, that's been done in different ways, but I feel like you masterfully handled that. But let's put a pin on that. Cause I do want to ask you, I wanted to ask you about like, about music criticism. Sure. Right. So I write a ton about music and uh, I try to every single episode. Now I try to do a review of something that's been books, it's been music, but mostly I'm doing albums and I've written about albums and I've done show reviews for many years. And one of the things that I don't feel comfortable with is, is criticism, right? So like you've rated one album, 10 out of 10, as I understand it, two. Okay. All right. Two. I need to update that bio. Yeah. Two. Okay. Two. Um, but to give a score is like, you are, you're, you're putting a value right on that, on that piece of work. And I wonder how comfortable you are with music criticism, especially as I think about Pitchfork, which has a reputation (laughs) of being a little hard on, on records, but I'm curious how comfortable you, you were when you started sort of writing critically about music and how, what that relationship has been like for you with the work. I mean, yeah, it's it's interesting because it's changed a lot. Um, it is something that I think about and I, I take very seriously. Um, when I first started, I got, I mean, I got six or seven, sometimes 10 CDs a day from bands that I'd heard about and bands that were just starting out that were sending me, you know, their first self-funded record. And I realized on every level, there's a lot of money, and talent and effort and time and dreams and like there's so much that goes into every little song and so to say this doesn't work is um either i take i i think i i I don't know i i undertake that aspect of things with a lot of care and a responsibility i feel a lot of uh, wait with that. Um, but I do think it's important, um, to do so in a way that is, uh, constructive and probing and, you know, that, that gets at something important, even if it's suggesting that something isn't working. Um, so I, and, and I, you know, I get a little bit frustrated with, with, people or writers or publications who who really don't 
who only write about the things that they like and only like and only sort of write about it in a kind of cheerleadery sort of way because i i think that that doesn't always do uh an artist uh justice it it you know it there are peaks and valleys in any career and i think to be able to 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 point to those that's really important and i think that that helps on some level i'm not saying that artists are get better when I pan them. I'm, you know, this is not uh, even coming from a personal place anymore. I think it's more of a, just like a, the, 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 the field, the discipline, but also even just like, you know, everyday listeners, you know, should be able to say, yeah, this doesn't strike me or I don't like this. And I, I love reading a lot of the truckers fans uh, online who have their favorites and hate different things uh in the article you wrote you mentioned that the flying valendas was generally considered to be one of the worst one of their worst songs which i guess i never really thought about it that way uh but i i kind of love that i love thinking about that as a sort of failed song um i hated that song until i heard him play it um the other like july whenever i wrote that thing um he played it both nights and I, I couldn't stand that song. And, and I love, I love the truck. Like I'm, I'm the guy who likes every record. And there's just something about that song that I found just be just corny and not make any sense. But when Patterson plays it with just him and a guitar and he tells the story behind it, which I'd known, but just seeing him tell it, the song hit differently in that setting than it does on record. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it never offended me that much. But I get that. I totally understand that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's that that seems like a, a good point of conversation, a good thing to debate. I mean, it's a good connection among among listeners and fans. And I don't know. I just feel like that's that's an important aspect of what I do um, is to be able to say, like, uh, the His Golden Messenger, that new one, uh, quietly blowing it. I really, I mean, that is a that is a an artist who defined the 2010s for me. Uh, his first handful of albums are, are among the finest in my collection, I think. And that new one is just a, a really sad echo of what makes those first ones great. And I feel like I needed to say that. I felt like I needed to to at least have my voice be heard in that debate about that album. Um, I think I was probably the harshest critic of it. I've seen it on a lot of year end lists, but I, I think that it's important to have that dissent. Interesting. I, here's another example of why maybe not the, the not criticism. Cause I think you in the book, um, really laud the, the contributions of Shauna Tucker to the band. And I think from a, like, from my perspective, you're frozen. I wonder if you can still hear me. Okay, yeah. good. No, no internet. Not, not now. <laughs> uh, so what I was saying was that I, I think um, my, I, I undervalued the contributions of Shauna Tucker to the band before reading the book. And when I read the book and I heard your perspective on it, and then also it made me go back and listen to her songs. Cause I think some of her songs were songs that I would either, I would skip to be perfectly honest with you. And then I, I came back to it and I, I appreciate her in a different way after reading what you had to say about her. So it, it kind of goes both ways, I guess. Like I, um, yeah, I mean, I just didn't really 
value her in the way that I think I should have in the way I do now. Um, and, um, and you're not, I don't think you're particularly, you're not really a critical at all of her in the book. I don't, I, I, I don't remember it being critical, but I think just, it goes both ways, right? Like that, that this work is important, um, for f- both if you're going to be critical about it and to make people think about it differently. Um, but also to, to, maybe highlight things that that somebody who was listening did not necessarily hear before and even somebody like me who's obsessive about the band yeah i mean i'm i'm glad i'm glad that that had that effect i mean i knew when she was in the band and i listened to those songs i knew that she was bringing something very different to the band and and i really like that and 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 i really uh, thought very highly of her and i think writing this book made me explore what made her different uh, not just being a, a, a woman, not just being uh, a, somebody who came into the band relatively late, but somebody who brought a very different voice as a, not only as a singer, but as a songwriter. I mean, some of those songs are very steeped in Muscle Shoals R&B. I mean, some like Home Field Advantage or um, It's Gonna Be I Told You So. Those could have been, you know, recorded in the 60s at fame and, and uh uh, showed up on a like a Betty Lovett album or something like that, and, and it. I think the the writing process brought that. It made me really look in, into her and and kind of see like what made her so special. And so, um, yeah, I, I I really wanted to argue for her as as a really profound influence on this band and um, somebody who you know. That's not to take anything away from uh, Matt Patton, who's a am- remarkable bass player and an incredible presence on stage yes. but she really was that tether to 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 the show awesome okay let's get into the book i <laughs> so where the devil don't stay um my my favorite piece of nonfiction i read this year um one wow. of my one wow. of my favorite books i read all year um just just uh just wonderful on so many levels and i i'm i love we started out talking about place. I love the choice to use the places that have shaped the truckers as a vehicle to examine the band and to talk about their importance. Because I think, you know, that's one of the things you say at the beginning, you talk about just how important this band is. And to me, I think they're as important as just about anybody in American uh, popular music, um, especially specifically rock and roll music. And um, I'm curious about, this part of the place thing. What I picture pre-COVID, and I don't know exactly when you started researching this, and I'm curious about that too, but I picture like a, a Chuck Klosterman's Killing Yourself to Live kind of thing where you're like traveling around to these romantic places and you're doing these weird, you're experiencing these amazing things. And um, uh, But I imagine some of that probably wasn't necessarily possible unless you had finished before. Um, but also that would be a really expen- expensive trip to do all of those things so i'm super curious about like what it looks like was there a lot of zoom kind of thing and phone calls or were you able to get and put boots on the ground and take in the smells and go to the coffee shops and all that you know it was it was a bit of both uh and and covid did cut some of my travel plans short and and uh but it was you know it it's it was a bit of both um i have family still in birmingham and so I was driving down from Indiana, my home in Indiana, you know, down to Birmingham a lot. And so 
obviously I'm, I'm, I'm well-versed in Birmingham, but I did make several stops in the Shoals, which is another one of those places, like we talked about earlier, that as soon as you get there, you feel something, you feel something different in the air or in the food or in the people. Um, And that's a place I'm drawn to a lot. I did go back to Memphis um, and do some research there. And I did go back to my hometown of Selmer, which I think one of my favorite sort of scenes in, in, in researching this book was visiting one of my best friends from high school, Jason Speth, uh, visiting his family. He lives kind of outside of town in the country. And he took me across the street to meet his neighbor who had just built a house and had, you know, the woods behind his house went for miles and miles and miles. And this guy took us out on a four wheeler about a mile back into his property to show me these stills he had found. Oh, wow. And that aspect of the Silmer chapter is based on that experience. I mean, of seeing these rusted out barrels and he was former law enforcement. So he was showing me, okay, this square puncture is from the pickaxe where, so the cops found this still and busted it up and you can see where their pickaxe went through the barrel. You can see where they buried the mash in the ground. Like that to me, like that's a, like I, you can research how to make, moonshine but that to me was was some of the most valuable information it's one of the most valuable experiences in the whole book was you know just just being there just being in this like like holler that nobody that doesn't even have a name and this thing happened and there's there's ruins of it still um but you know, otherwise, other than that, it was a lot of phone calls. It was a lot of, um, you know, I, I got to meet Patterson for lunch in Birmingham one day, and that was a, uh, almost, almost got lost in downtown Birmingham trying to drive him back to Saturn, uh, where they were playing that night. Um, you know, I, I got to, to, to stop by, um, Cooley's house, meet his dog and talk to him for several hours. And, um, you know, I got to go to Athens and I, I, I did walk the train tracks to that trestle that's on the front of Murmur, uh, which I would have done anyway. It wasn't even research for the book. It was just like, I, I got to see this, like, you know, so it was, it was a, it was a mix. And, and sometimes I do wish I had had, um, an opportunity to, to, to spend more time in, in some of these other places and, and actually write those chapters in those places. But um, mm. given the time frame, it just it didn't work out. So, How much did you have, you told that story about the still, which is such, again, one of, good, I'm glad, because that is the romantic ideal that I pictured. So I'm glad it worked out that way. <laughs> it wouldn't take anything away from the book if you had just been on the phone the whole time, but some of the magic had to have come from some experiences like that, I figured. So I do, how much of it did you going in know, like, this is what the story is. This is what it looks like. I am going to outline it a certain way. Or was there any of that? And was it just all discoveries? Or was there some sort of balance between those two? Um, You know, it was a bit of both. It was, um, when I went in, I knew I wanted to approach it as, um, as these places. I, I knew I wanted to write about the places and let that guide the story. Um, 
And so I had an idea. I knew I wanted to write about Athens. I knew I wanted to write about my hometown of Selmer. Um, and then I, you know, a lot of that was just conceptual. I wanted to, to let the music really guide me. Um, and so I, you know, when I started, I kind of left a little bit of it purposefully vague. And I put together songs that I thought applied, like the night G.G. Allen came to town. That was going to be a major part of the Memphis chapter. But I, I kind of wanted to let that stuff guide me and, and, and let their experiences and their stories guide me a bit. Um, you know, because like I said, my, my wife is an art historian and she is very careful to make sure that the scholarship she does keeps the object at the center. And so I really wanted to make sure that when I did that, I did this book, I did something similar, which you know, keep the music at the center and not get, not ever get too far from a song. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it, 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 it was kind of um, knowing which room I wanted to be in and then feeling my way around that room in the dark a little bit, uh, I guess. Um, hmm. Oh, that's really interesting. There's, you mentioned, sitting down with Cooley, like getting to go to his house. That's such a cool thought in my mind. His house probably has, I mean, his house is impossibly cool. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I just moved back from England. I was staying with my mom. I was walking my dog at, around this like little lake that's near her house that has a walking path. And this guy jogs by in a 930 club t-shirt, which struck me because that's a club I used to go to in DC all the time I saw a cave there. I saw all these great, the B-52s I saw there. Um, and so I, the next, I saw him running around the lake. And so then I, then I made a point the next time he came by, I was like, nice shirt, man. I love that shirt. And he kind of whips up his hair and he says in that low voice, which I'm not even going to try and imitate. He said, yeah, my band used to play there all the time. And it is, as soon as he said that, I was like, you're my Cooley. Like, I know you. And uh, I'm writing a book about you. And, and uh, he's a, I don't know, something. And, and we just had a, a sort of brief run in, but I it's like, what are the odds of running into him right on that, on that day at, at, at that place, right? Like literally in view of my mom's house. Uh, it's, a, it's a small world, but uh, yeah. That is so crazy, man. <laughs> I, I, so I'm really interested in, in those interactions. Um, you like I as I mentioned earlier, you talking about Shauna and um, and really showing her quite a bit of respect in the book made me rethink those songs and made me look at her contributions differently. Um, the the amount of time you spend on Isbel I think is really interesting um, because he's certainly the most famous of them now. But it, it, it's like there could have been a, there could have been a it could have been tempting to spend more time on his departure from the band and the salacious parts of what happened in that during that time. And you don't, you artfully handle that whole thing. You don't ignore it, but at the same time, it's not like, it could have been very tempting, I think, to write something, especially with the audience that he has, you know, to write something a little bit more, um, like I said, a little bit more salacious. And I'm curious about how you th it thought about looking at the individual players 
in the band because there's so many people involved and more people than I realized. Like I didn't know, like I learned a lot about Dave schools of widespread panic. I, I, I've known that he's he's he got his hands in a lot of different things. I had no idea what an influence he has on so many different bands and so many different people's lives and what a seemingly like mu musical philanthropist that guy is. Like I learned so much about these different influences. I, I never knew anything about Vic Chestnut. I got deep into Vic Chestnut and like all these other people that like, that was one of the most exciting things about reading this book. It's just all these characters and all these wonderful people that are, that have influenced the band and been involved with the band. Who else? Oh, uh, Eddie Hinton. I went down an Eddie Hinton rabbit hole for like five days. And I knew that name from, from, um, everybody needs love and but i didn't yeah. know like the truckers covering that but i didn't i didn't really know his music you know and i love that song and then i went down that hole and i was like oh my god there's this whole different world you know and there's this whole world around the truckers and i'm curious how you thought about the different players and like the time to devote to them yeah i mean that was something that was very difficult because uh i wanted to get down these rabbit holes and and i think to a certain extent that's what their catalog is about. That's what a lot of people who really get into music, that's what we love. We love good, getting down a rabbit hole. And, um, you know, I could have, I could have, I really had to self-edit. Like um, I talked to this guy, Robbie Grant out of Memphis. He was in a band called Big Ass Truck. And they did, to, to, to my knowledge, the earliest DBT cover that uh that i found and there aren't many out there weirdly enough but they covered nine bullets and i think they covered it i think in like 99 so like really really early um and i wanted to go down that rabbit hole because i i talked to him for another project and and uh I, we were started talking to the truckers and he was uh he, he visited patterson's house when he, they were recording um one of their albums uh i think it was um pizza deliverance and i don't know it was just like you know that's such an interesting point of view but it's like that is like that is a rabbit hole too far or too deep like i you know i have to kind of back out of that one but uh you know and but again it was it was letting these songs kind of point me in the directions i needed to go it was like knowing that he wrote uh goodbye little star about Vic Chestnut. Okay, I, I got to look into that. I got to ask him about that. It was knowing that he wrote that they, they covered two Eddie Hinton songs and wrote a song about him. Um, you know, so I, you know, it, it's those things. It's those references that pointed me in the directions to go. And honestly, I could probably write a second book on some of the rabbit holes I didn't go down and, and some of the references I didn't get to explore as fully as the others. Um, but you know, with with that second Shoals chapter, that's about uh, Jason and Shauna. That one, uh, it, it's funny because I interviewed him right before the lockdown in 2020. Uh, he and Shauna were two of the last interviews I did for the book. I actually got to go down to to his farm out in uh, outside of Nashville and sort of interview him in his like little practice space um which was really amazing because he's still got a lot of wes's artwork and hanging around um <clears throat> he's got these really elaborate mirror balls too it's crazy um and i think talking to them back to back um 
really shaped that chapter and shaped the um, the arc of that. And you know, there there is probably a lot of really deeply ugly and troubling information there, but none of it seemed as important as the stuff that connected their story to the band and and sort of i don't want to say made it inevitable but you can see how jason coming into this band you know at the age they were so they were old enough to be his parents literally patterson is old enough to be his parent um and i think went to school with jason's mom um and he's this young kid starting out there are these older guys who have been doing this you know for ages and there's he's coming into an instant audience an instant fan base for this and uh you know he's just thrown into this and you can kind of see how a certain personality would react <clears throat> in the ways that he did and so you can kind of see how uh like that it would be very uh natural for him to take this kind of trajectory that he took and and uh i'm you know i knew that it nearly broke up the band and nearly killed the truckers um as a unit and bootlegs from just after his departure they're a little shaky you can kind of tell like they're trying to figure out what kind of band they are like how these songs sound now without him um you know and and i think it's to everybody's credit that you know he sobered up and is making some amazing music right now and you know they made their best not their best but they made one of their best albums right after he left and they really used that process of figuring themselves out to make music that built on what they had already done and built in new directions and brighter than creations dark i think is this incredible almost experimental record for them and and uh i love that record and and i i i think that that really showed that they could keep going without him i i love that record too i think that was an interesting thing about reading the book was when i've been a fan for 20 years or whatever it's been i mean a really long time my first trucker show was the the black crows tour that oh, wow. i saw i saw them with the black crows and robert randolph and the family band in tampa um and uh I missed a little bit of it. I, I think part of what connects me to Jason's music specifically is that I, there's, I can identify so much with him, the person and some of his struggles, and I can identify so much with his, his career arc, not my, my career is very different, but like very similar experiences and we're about the same age. And so like at that time he must've been, he must've been partying really hard and I didn't realize that, you know, cause they were killing it every night when I saw them, yeah. but I was late to that show. And I don't remember much about the black crows cause I was drinking too hard, you know? And so like, there's this connection that I feel with his music. I I have a picture with him in 2007 or so, I guess it was, that's about the time he left the band. So 2007 or eight, he played, um, he and the 400 unit played at a barbecue joint in Jacksonville, um, Mojo barbecue in Jacksonville mm -hmm. beach. Oh, wow. And then he, he actually played twice that year. It was him and bro and Lawler. 
Um, for folks listening, Bro and Lawler now plays guitar with St. Paul and the Broken Bones, but was in the original 400 unit. Um, and he was the Saddler in the original 400 unit. Um, and uh, I saw I saw him there, took a picture with him afterward. And you look at us, dude, we are unrecognizable, like both of us, you know? And so we're, we're both about 27-ish right about then and like just not healthy and it's wild to see because if you look at him now he looks great (laughs) you know and he's obviously doing great and i think i look pretty good and i'm doing pretty good you know so i think there's such a connection that i have um to to him specifically and to that time and it's interesting to think about the band of course like if i was in his shoes i would have been dead You, you know like if i had that kind of talent in that band i wouldn't have made it um, and it's so fascinating to me that I'm, I'm getting to a point here. And that is one of the, the themes of the book and the themes of the truckers is just that perseverance. Those guys should have quit a million, t- should have quit a million times. And it just continue again and again and again. And then now they're making, you know, American bands, my favorite drive by truckers record, um, you know, and so I, I'm interested in what you discovered and you talk about it in the book a little bit, but what you discovered about sort of like why they keep it going and how they persevere. I mean, you were talking about your identification with uh, Jason in a, in a, in a way that is pretty harrowing. My identification with them is that uh, I mean, among other things, they kept telling me they just weren't fit for anything else. Like, I don't think I'm, I don't think there are many jobs that I'm fit for. And and I, I, I like this job a lot and so i feel like you know there's not a whole lot else i can do and i I feel like (laughs) i I can identify with that aspect of them they just you know this is what they wanted to do and they just didn't feel like they there was anything else for them there were no other options that would give them the sort of life that they wanted to lead and i'm i was impressed again and again and again writing this book and researching it all the many times that they could have just packed it in and nobody would have blamed them. Adam's house cat doesn't go anywhere. That could have been it. And that could have been um, a footnote in Shoals history that, oh yeah, this band with David Hood's kid, you know, played a bunch of gigs and were kind of rowdy and then broke up. Um, or they could have, uh, you know, broken up with Jason and left the band. They could have broken up when Shauna left the band, they, you know, there were all these times when they could have fallen by the wayside and they just kept going. And, you know, like you said, the, like they're making really incredible music right now. Um, American band is amazing. I really like uh, uh, the new. Okay. I think that's a, that's a great record. And I think especially paired with um, the unraveling these two very different sides of experience of life at the end of the 2010s where you got something that I mean, Patterson said, it's the dark, like the, the unraveling is the darkest record that they have ever made. And then you get the new okay, which is, I mean, it's not the lightest record they've ever made by any stretch of the imagination, but it's an interesting flip side. And so they're still doing all these things that are really fascinating and making these incredible contributions to their catalog. Um, you know, it's, it's, they've had so many different lives and they've had such longevity and in a way that, you know, is, I don't know too many bands that 25 years in are, are hitting it as hard 
as as the truckers are. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I think that that really really just doggedly pursuing that dream is that's kind of ended up being one of the themes of the book that I didn't even realize when I was writing it. It was only in the editing process of like that keeps coming up. That's a thing I didn't realize I was writing about, but that keeps coming up. That's so interesting. Though I saw him, I flew up to Minnesota in um, October oh. and saw him uh, in St. Paul. One of my best friends lives up there. And then uh, shout out to Zach Schultz, good friend of the show, good friend of mine, one of the first fans of the Marinade before he had to be just the first person who wasn't like a family member or whatever to be a fan. And he's been there every step of the way since I started this thing. I got to meet him in real life and went to a show, to, went to a Shocker show together. Um, that oh. was the best I've seen them. You know, and I've gone to God knows how many trucker shows, right? That was the yeah. best I've seen. And they were so, they were on point, of course, incredibly loud, but on point, like <laughs> just dialed in and you could tell they were stoked. I mean, it was one of their first shows back too. So, you know, they, they're stoked to be there and like, but it was the best trucker show I've seen. And I mean, I've been to a bunch of them. Well, and I was just thinking like, I, okay, so I saw them at Shoals Fest in early October. And they played a short set because they were uh, second to last on the bill. And that short set was one of the best sets I've ever seen them play. I mean, they just came and they killed it. Every song, every note, they were just locked in. One of the best sets I've seen. And then a few weeks later, they I saw them in Birmingham. And it was, again, one of the best sets I've ever seen. It was just like, they've just somehow gotten better and better. And I, maybe part of that is like, really being grateful to be back on the road and be back on uh, on stages again after the pandemic i know lockdown was a uh, was hard on every artist for making money but also just like the rock show with them is this special thing and and i think they mm -hmm. need it as much as the fans do if not more and i mean i realize there are artists for whom the live show is special but for the truckers it is it is sacrosanct it is it is it is a it is a church it is a it is a religion it is a um it is a therapy i mean it's so much it's so much packed into what is just uh guys playing rock songs but it is a healing thing uh and it certainly has been for me during my life and and i, I don't know that there are many other bands for whom the live show is that complex an enterprise um they uh so yeah i mean and 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 so i i think that the fact that they're just getting better and better is just uh it's a really remarkable thing but i think it's also points to just how important that that live performance is for them it's just that means i think as much as i love their albums and their albums are you know the sort of document of their of, of a lot of people's 20th century the the live show is just that's where they are the best band in the world man that's such a great point the document of so many people's 20th century i think reading the book brought that to light to me is how i knew the band meant a lot to me i i don't think i processed how much they've meant to me until i read your book and because it it helped me to see how much of how much, how big a part of my life they've been. I just told that thing about Isbel, but like 
you know, I've, he hasn't been in the band for a long time and I've been a huge, huge truckers fan, you know, since then. And all those steps along the way, even as you were talking, I was, I was picturing shows in my head. I remember an Ebor city then playing after Jason had left the band and they, it was a uh, go, go boots, I guess would have been that tour. Um, they played the old Ritz theater there. I like, I have vivid memories of that particular show, you know, like the, the bathroom attendant and me thinking how weird that juxtaposition was of like the drive-by truckers are playing and there's a bathroom attendant and like all these little moments, you know, and Ybor city is like the perfect place for the, tr for a trucker show. You know, it's like, you couldn't pick a better setting. I feel like for a trucker show than Ybor fucking city. It was just so great. And, um, but all those moments have shaped my life in different ways. And those records, I mean, I, they played a, they played a, English oceans at the last time I saw him. And, um, I was thinking about that record and that was interesting to, to read about in your book too. Cause I, I remember, I remember it coming out and I remember just like, I don't remember consuming any reviews of it. I don't remember like, I don't remember it, it, seeing anybody talk about it or anything. I just, I'm a truckers fan. I was at the record store. I bought the record. Um, it's a very vivid time in my life because my partner and I had just started, uh, dating recent, like around that time, we were both going through some stuff separately. And like that record was such a comfort to me. I was just, I was just going back to it for what it's cause I love that band and it, and it's just good food for me, you know, to, for my yeah. soul. And so, um, uh, but, and I, and they played that, they played it, uh, they played it the title track and I was just like oh my god it took me to that place and I just thought about all these little steps along the way which as I was reading your book I, I was realizing how much this band has shaped my life and I don't think I processed it in that way until I read the book it, and it's interesting because you saying that made me think about you know when I first heard the truckers I had just moved out of Memphis I had moved out of the south which is where I had lived my entire life, I kind of had to uh, rethink what it meant to be a Southerner, where I came from. I was seeing it from this new perspective. My my dad had just died. Um, and that was a, I mean, profoundly traumatic experience that I'm still getting over. Um, and so hearing this band sing about these places and these people that I knew was so moving to me and and it was very comforting it was like okay here is somebody who's going through the same thing who's who's really trying to figure the south out and to to hear them at that point in my life was a godsend i mean it was it, it you know it, i would be an ex i would be a completely different person had that not happened at that time and you know i was i've i've said before that i think a lot of their longevity is due to them being so many different bands along the way. They've been a country band. They've been a, an alt country band. They've been a Southern rock band. They've been a sort of Shoals band that's mixing in all these R&B elements. They've been a, a protest band. You know, they've been all of these things. And, you know, the people who become fans and stay fans, they've become, I mean, we've all become been different things too. And so we've kind of all lived parallel to them and we've seen, we, our stories have played out together and woven together in a way that, I mean, I love pop music and I love one hit wonders and, you know, I, I love so much music, but there, 
I can't think of too many other bands that feel like everything is played out in parallel. And I'm, I'm still, this is an idea I'm just kind of working out in my head and I'm usually better on paper. So I might not be crystal clear on, uh, on it right now, but that idea that, that, that we're all so many different people and the band is so many different bands and, and all of that happens in parallel, I think it's very powerful. We're so many different people. The band has been so many different bands and also the places have changed so much. And yeah. that, that, that synergy exactly. of those three things is why this band is so important and why your book is so important in describing them. Oh, thank you. No, I think that's a, a really good point. And, you know, and I think that's the other thing is um, I didn't, somebody asked me if, if I wanted this book to be definitive and I really, I guess I didn't really think of it that way. There's a lot I didn't get to include and left out, but everything is still changing. I mean, the band is still changing. They've got a new record coming out. They've got other projects that they're working on that, uh, that hopefully will see the light of day and, and uh, very soon. And uh, they've got other chapters in their story. They're not done yet. And not, neither are, are we, and neither of these places, they're all still changing. And, and, I, you know, that's, that makes me hopeful, like, as bad as things have gotten, and as bad as they are right now, like, there, I, I there's still some hope there. And, and, and that's a very precious commodity. And any band that can make me feel that any artist, any, any person who can make me feel some hope right now is, uh, is somebody is something I'm going to cling to. So, yeah. Yes. And our perspectives are changing too. That's the other thing is that we're learning more about our world in certain ways. At the same time, we have to be careful about what we're learning and making sure that what we're learning is in fact valid and reliable. And so the band's changing, their perspective on things are changing, especially like I think about the band after Patterson moved, I really feel like that has a huge influence on so much of what he is writing and so much of the way he's looking at the world. Kind of the same thing you described in getting out of the South and being able to look at it again. I have a, my own little kind of perspective on that living in Orlando, which is a very different city from the rest of Florida. And so I mean, that piece I wrote about Patterson, it was just me getting out of Orlando because I've been stuck here for two years. You know, yeah. so getting out of Orlando a little bit, I say stuck, I love it here, but it, you know, getting out a little bit and seeing the surrounding areas and being like, I don't get how all this is happening. And then I go outside of my little bubble and I go, oh, this is how things are happening. There's a different world out there. And that, and my understanding of that place and not just looking at it with disdain, but looking at it critically, uh, also respecting it is a constant struggle. And the truckers helped me to get to that place, that understanding. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's like, I live in Indiana. I live in Bloomington, which is a college town, not unlike Athens, except without that incredible music history. Um, it is a, an intensely dark blue dot in a red state. And I forget sometimes what it's like. And, you know, my, my wife and I, uh, during the lockdown, we would take country drives all the time, just listen to music, get out of the house a little bit. And it was eye-opening because once you got out of Bloomington, you saw Trump flags everywhere. You saw Confederate flags everywhere. I see more Confederate flags in Indiana than I see in Alabama. That's wild. Um, and it's a totally different place. And it's a reminder and it's an important one, I think, personally, that not to get too settled, not to get too 
comfortable to to not forget that these things are out there and these worlds are very different and these perspectives are very different and not to just assume that these people like these people they don't think of themselves as the bad guys they they come into bloomington and they think oh i just went in there and it's a totally different world from where from where i am you know and so it's it's um i don't know i think i feel like that's very important it was very heartening though in uh late november of 2020 going and driving some of those same routes and seeing a lot fewer trump flags and trump signs after he lost the election and and uh uh so you know, that was a little addendum to that story, but uh, yeah. That's great. That's great. I love that you went on those drives. I, I need to do more of that. I didn't have a car for a while. That's a whole different conversation, but now that I, now that I have one that I like to drive, I've been, um, I've been buying CDs. I've been buying instead of like, I have a record, quite the record collection, but I've been buying CDs and I just bought one today. I just bought Jerry Joseph cause I was doing research. I bought the one with the truckers. Um, I bought the CD. So uh, I I didn't know anything about that record until I was doing research for this. And, um, I was going back through the, uh, in the back, there's a couple of really like in the back where you have this kind of appendix with the, the, all the records. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, I was going back through some of that. Cause again, just recognizing how many records they've made and, and, or been a part of, um, that Booker T record, I didn't know anything about, uh, until I read this book. What a cool, yeah. what a cool piece of art that is, right? It's and it's so good. And the Betty Lovett record, uh, and she just uh, talking to her was incredible. I mean, just very moving. To, just to, for her to have had a, an experience not dissimilar from Patterson's, where she thought this she was going to go down to 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 the Shoals and make it, and it she was just. I mean, and that record, uh, no time. Your turn to cry is that should have been a hit that should have been we should see biopics of betty levette right now we should see greatest hits of hers you know and and i she should have just been this massive star uh and she's a star in her own right so i'm not taking that away from her but like you know just in hearing what they did together and hearing what uh, they did with jared joseph and I have some dream projects that I've always wanted to see what they could do as a backing band for other artists. I, I think it would be amazing to see them play on a Lucinda Williams record or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh gosh. We could do that all day. I just, Oh God. I mean, like, <laughs> I know that would be fun. Well, okay. I, I, I've, you've, you've been so generous with your time. I just have a couple more if, if you have time. Um, I love, cur- this. I love talking about this. So okay. I got all the time in the world. <laughs> awesome. Okay, great. I'm, I'm interested in, you know, so even though I, it's, it's funny, like, even though I write about music and I get pitches from artists that are in the drive-by truckers world, you know, from their publicists. And I know some of these folks, I don't know anybody specifically with the truckers. I don't have any real relationship with them other than Matt Patton follows me on Twitter and we exchange. I, I get a thrill every once in a while exchanging a note with him, but I, I I'm interested in like a couple of things. One is, did your relationship with the music change at all as you really got deep and wrote about it? Did it either, did it strengthen that bond or did it in some way take away some of the magic? It, it definitely, it definitely deepened it. I mean, I think it, you know, on a, on a sort of, 
widescreen to uh, if, to pan out and to look at their catalog as a whole, it made me really appreciate what they've done and this kind of like larger songwriting project they've undertaken over decades um, to sort of portray the South from these different perspectives in a way that it's never been portrayed before, especially in rock music. That's really amazing. And I think it made me appreciate it more. One thing that I thought was going to happen with all of this was there would be a point where I was just like sick of the band and sick of the truckers. And like, I just like the last thing I wanted to hear was like Southern rock opera or something like that. And I do think that whether connected with this project or not, I did uh, in my record shopping search out a lot of different kinds of sounds and a different a lot of different kinds of music that I normally didn't listen to. A lot of new age stuff, a lot of Italian soundtracks from the seventies, um, just stuff that had nothing to do with this band. But every time I went to listen to them, every time I would put on Southern Rock Opera or I would, or even, even to some extent Blessing and a Curse, which is my least favorite of their studio albums or albums in general, it was like hearing them for the first time. And it was just like suddenly, like, I remember why I started this project. Um, you know, there, there are low points in any project like this. And I found that when I was having a crisis of faith or confidence, a crisis of confidence, when I felt like I wasn't up to the task, or maybe the task wasn't like, you know, I was just having mission creep or whatever. Whenever I would uh, listen to them, it was just like, it was, it would remind me, like, yes, this is not only a book I want to write, but this is a book that's important to write. Like, this is a a worthwhile pursuit like this band is that is that good and that important and that consequential that that i mean every time i listened to it it was just like yes like raise my lighters up and like you know I, it was every single time i i listened to them and so i even now i don't I, just, I i've never gotten sick of them i've never gotten to where it's like if some one of their songs comes up on shuffle i crank it up i still like there's nothing i don't I'm, i've heard the living bubba at least a thousand times and yet walking my dog i'll be like i want to hear the living bubba again like, yeah you know it's it's and i think that that speaks to the power of their music but also the sort of like, there's so much to find it's like it's like watching a, a movie and finding easter eggs or something like that it's like it's um like i'm a huge mystery science theater fan and it's like listening it's like watching a mystery science theater that i've seen a thousand times and still hearing a joke i never heard it's like all these things like these these different chords or these this different way that patterson does a vocal or or something like that it's just like it's just something new every time some little detail that jumps out at you man that's awesome i, I love a blessing and a curse by the way i'm one of the i'm one of the those one of those You're people <laughs> I, yeah uh more power to you but uh no i i i, I under, that that's a weird point because i there are people who love that up who yeah, love that album. i love it i love the big to do and there are people who think that's their worst album i love the big to do i i love it yeah so uh, you know, and I love that. I love that de that debate, that constant is, debate. Like everybody's got a different experience of the band. Is it Go Go Boots that has Willinda's, or is that the big to do? It's one of those. 
Big to do. Yeah. Big to do. Yeah. 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 Now I like it even more now that I like Walinda's. <laughs> um, how has how has the book been received by truckers fans? I find it I, there's a really interesting phenomenon that I was starting to talk about, and then it made me think of a different question. People that have been frustrated with the quote unquote more political songs with the truckers blows my mind. Like I don't know how you hear Uncle Frank or like any number of trucker songs. Oh yeah, putting, putting people, people on the moon. I like and think that they weren't that didn't have a lot to say about very serious issues. Um, and I know that the, the more recent stuff is a little more in your face, but is it? I don't know. Anyway, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> but I'm curious how the book has been received um, by truckers fans who can be a pretty passionate lot. Well, let me let me get to that uh, here in a minute. But I want to the, the the political aspect. It's funny. I <clears throat> I was just thinking about this recently, where a lot of the political stuff in some of their earlier songs maybe wasn't as political at the time like um um the, the southern thing where he's talking about his ancestor who fought for the confederacy only because union troops had stormed through his farm and he was just like these people are invading i need to to defend this farm and like that was not a big deal then but it's it's received differently now and so like, it's almost like they were talking about things that we were going to catch up to them on. Like they were talking about, you know, Southern identity and, and Confederate monuments and things like that. Like before those really entered the national conversation to the degree to which we talk about them now and to, to, to the prominence they are now. And, and so I feel like maybe they're political in retrospect because when people first heard them, that didn't sound especially political, but has been further politicized now. Um, remind me of the second part of the question. <laughs> how is the how has the book? I love. I'm so glad you answered that that way. That's really interesting. How 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 has the book been received? But from your perspective, by truckers fans, like have have truckers fans been receptive to it? Have they have they had feedback for you uh, in th that's maybe more critical? Um, you know, I, it's been amazing. They, the, 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 the fan base has been amazing. Um, and, and incredibly supportive. Like they are so knowledgeable, like they are so, they know this band back and forth. And like we've discussed, they've had these very intimate experiences with the band and their music. I mean, there are people who follow them and go to every show. And that's like a level of fandom that I can't maintain. Um, and so I was very nervous about like, these people know their stuff. Like, I think I'm an expert, but these people are real experts. They know this band. And, you know, they've, there have been some criticisms, uh, you know, like I, there are a few factual errors in here that I just, I just got wrong um, and have had to, really um talk to my therapist a lot about to just say that without you know uh throwing myself in front of a train but uh you know it's they've pointed the, some of those things out but not in a way that has been uh discrediting not in a way that has been like mean or trolling or anything like that like they just you know very constructively but 
it's been unbelievable just getting to know some of the fans since the book has come out. Um, hmm. When I went to Shoals Fest, I did a signing uh, with a, uh, a, a store down there called All the Best, which is a really amazing place in Florence. And I could have spent a small fortune just on their records that they carry and the barbecue sandwich <laughs> I could have bought, uh, spent an equal amount of money on both. Um, but just sitting outside there signing books and then and all these people coming up that I, I knew the names online. I knew um, I knew every single person who came up and, and, and got a book signed. Um, and then those same people showed up when I did a, a, an event in Birmingham and those same people showed up when, you know, at, at other, at, uh, at, at other times. And, and it's uh, it's, it's just really amazing to sort of be, in this community um, of truckers fans and, and to watch them, uh, you know, engage with the book in a meaningful way and, and engage with the band in meaningful ways and, and engage with each other. Like one guy just recently had a heart transplant and the, ama- the, the, the support from the community for this fan. I mean, it, I was in tears at my computer, just like, like just, just reading all of these responses to this and, and, and following his story. And it was, it was very, um, very powerful. And so to be accepted in that community, that maybe means as more to me than having the band like it to, to have that community like, and, and appreciate the book is, is, is something I didn't even dream of. It's, it's, it's not something that I thought about much in the, I mean, insofar as I didn't want them to hate it, but to be accepted is, I, I don't know. I'm just, it's, it's, it's been this incredible blessing that I didn't expect to, to find in this process. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's great. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad that's been the reaction. Um, man, gosh, this has been so much fun. I, I totally forgot to ask you because I, I, maybe I'm just not good at the Google box, but I couldn't figure out what your I guess now there's two 10 out of 10s. What your 10 out of 10 reviews were? Oh, yeah. So there's uh, Murmur, uh, which I think is the one that the bio is referring to. And since then, I gave a 10 to Heaven or Las Vegas by the Cocteau Twins. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, got, I got some homework is, then. Yeah. Oh, man. That, that If you haven't heard that record, it's just beautiful. It is okay. it's just incredible. So. I'm going to do that as soon as we're done here. Okay. Speaking of which, um, we usually end on, um, we end on what you're getting down on the art that is inspiring you right now. It could be a book you're reading, a painting you saw a record. I don't know. Film you saw. It's going to be hard to narrow it down to one thing. It's free flowing, whatever, whatever comes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, one of my favorite records this year was by a Birmingham artist named Janet Simpson. Uh, it's called safe distance she's um i've kind of followed her off and on throughout her career uh with the delicate cutter she did some stuff with wooden wand this is her first sort of like real solo album and it is beautiful it is um she reminds me a little bit of like chrissy hind but a little bit more country uh just incredible songwriter um and i've kind of gotten into 
my wife and I like to play YouTube jukebox sometimes and we'll just like go back and forth. And we found this uh, <clears throat> incredible English glam folk band from the 70s called Horse Loves. There's a song called Derek Doom, and which is an incredible song. They're, they're a great band during this period. But there's a, uh, a, 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 a clip of them on the Old Grey Whistle Test from the BBC and I think, 74, 75. And it's the most entertaining thing because they're, they're very serious, but they're very glammed up the record that they're promoting has a like a as a black and white fist on the cover and so the lead singer has painted his fist his hand silver um i don't know and then there's some like there's a bagpipe solo at the end it's delightful it is it's ridiculous in the best way i mean i i am a big promoter of the ridiculous and this pretentious in rock music and this is both in the most glorious way possible uh so I would say those are two. I could go on. I just covered a singer from the 70s named Novella Nelson, who did one album that I can find. Uh, that's incredible. Uh, just incredible performer. Incredible cover of Dock of the Bay that she does. Um, yeah. I'm sure as soon as I get off the phone, I'll be like, yeah, oh, I told him this. Why didn't I tell him that? Cause that's yeah. great. But, well, anytime know. the guest turns it back on me, I always freeze. It's a hard question, right? Like every time I turn well, it back, I'll just, be like, oh. yeah, well, you just, uh, you just, I was going to ask you the same thing. You just predicted my question. There, so. <laughs> well, I will say, okay. So, um, the, what I'm reading right now is it is the 1619 project book. Um, and yeah. I'm I'm just obsessed with it. Um, I'm really enjoying it. I enjoying it as much as you can. That kind of heavy subject matter is just so brilliantly done. Yeah. Um, and last night we saw uh, the film "Don't Look Up." Oh yeah. Yeah. Heavy, hilarious, um, really depressing. <laughs> um, but just <laughs> but you know everybody's in it. Just an incredible cast, and everybody does a great job. It's really well written. The music that I've been listening to. I've been really pushing myself to get out of my sort of Americana box um, yeah. because if you leave me alone, I'll just listen to the truckers and uh, is Isabel and American Aquarium. And, you know, I mean, I'll, I will just listen to the, that, that genre, especially since I'm kind of, you know, at this point, like I get pitches and they're from those kinds of artists in that world. And I love that shit. You know, I mean, yeah. I love it. Like when I first heard from the first time I heard Wilco and Sunvolt and went back to Uncle Tupelo to all everything that's happened since that has been kind of what I, you know, what I gravitate toward my I've got however many posters on my wall. There's a Sunvolt, a Wilco, uh, American Aquarium and uh, Will Hogue, Jason Isbell and Centromatic, you know, like that's that's where like I usually go. So I've been really pushing myself lately and um, wonderful songwriter Casey Anderson. Uh, he's really into hip hop. And so he po he posted about his favorite albums of the year. And there's an artist called Little Little Sims with a Z. Um, oh yeah. Have you listened yeah. to that? Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, really digging it. Like I, I just keep going, and I'm trying that kind of that sound because because she kind of reminds me of like No Name, but like um, but with a little more. There's almost like a Afro 
Caribbean kind of thing in there that like is sort of it's not the focal point but it's just sort of like an undercurrent yeah and it, it's i just i'm really digging that record i forget the name of it but yeah. i'm really digging that record i know which one i see so this is going to inspire me to go back and listen to that again and to listen to more no name because that's somebody whose name i know no pun intended <laughs> uh but is uh somebody like i i love hip-hop music and i try and follow it and it it is such a it changes so fast and, and there's it's just so big and, and there's so much going on and it can be very exciting and it can be very intimidating. So mm -hmm. uh, it's it's and I never I don't write about it because I just don't feel like I can do so with authority. And uh, so I feel like the end of the year is when I'm trying to catch up on stuff like that. So I think that's happened to me, too. And just self-examination at the end of the year, too. Like I told you about how I'm rearranging my studio and going to and getting rid of some old things. And it's amazing the shit that I held on to just <laughs> like but, but uncovering aspects of my life again, circling back to that you know, how the truckers have been there for most of my adult life, looking back at some of these these relics from my past that really weren't all that long ago, that, that were that long ago, but don't feel like they were that long ago, you know, like, uh, I had to, found this picture of from my law school graduation. And it's like, I don't know if you're going to be able to see it, but it's me and my mom and my grandmother. Oh, and, wow. And it doesn't even look like the same guy. That's 2009, yeah. dude. It's, wow. it's crazy. And just thinking about how much I've grown and changed as a person and throughout that time, but part of that is also looking at what I'm consuming and, uh, you know, art wise. And so I, I will go back like 1619 project is wheelhouse for me. Like that's the kind of thing nonfiction wise I'm going to read. Um, yeah. I, I, I picked up a copy of Dune after watching the film and not understanding what the hell was going on. <laughs> so I've been working my way through Dune now, which, and then I'm like, oh, now I know what's going on. I get it. Um, but, uh, but that's not something I would normally pick up. I wouldn't normally pick yeah. that up. So I like this time of year for that to kind of reflect on what have I been consuming art wise, because you are such a product of the art that you consume, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing that came up that I, I'm curious about, do you do like year in album lists? Is that something that you do? And do you have a particular record or two that was your favorite from this year? You know, I do, but I never feel very confident in them. And then when I go back years later and I look at it, I'm like, what, what was I thinking? Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I don't even, I don't even recognize this. Like number seven, I, I don't even recognize that anymore. Or number eight, I actively dislike now. Uh, <laughs> And so it doesn't even feel like a good snapshot of an era or anything like that. Um, I think my number one this year was the Faye Webster album. Um, I know I'm funny, haha. Um, she's um, she. It was recorded at Chase Park Transduction actually, and she's. It's weird. It's like, is she a country singer with R and B elements, or is she an R and B singer with country elements? her voice is is matched with this like pedal steel that is it's it's just this beautiful match between voice and instrument and um she does these really funny kind of heartbreaking songs uh and and that remind me in a, in a certain way of vic chestnut in in the kind of detail and turns of phrases that she's using um it, it's I, that's that's one that every time i'm just struck by it every time i listen to it um and trying to oh yasmin williams um 
is another uh she's a guitar player who i think has just basically reinvented the world of folk guitar um i got to see i interviewed her in nashville for uncut magazine and then got to see her perform at americana fest and blew me away i mean her technique is stunning to watch. I mean, she's just, she's playing it like a keyboard. She's using hammers. She's got tap shoes on. So she's tapping out the beat as she's playing. She's playing a kalimba while she's playing the guitar. But her songs are so good. Her songs are so well composed and conceived. And she, they're about things, even though they're instrumentals, they're about like being part of this protest in New York City or being part of marching on the Capitol in DC. And so she's writing these songs, these compositions about that. And it's just, it's phenomenal. Um, it's called urban driftwood. Okay. Awesome. I love this. You give me such good homework. Oh, good. Good. I'm excited. Yeah, I don't know these records. Um, I know the, those names, but I don't know those records. So I'm going to, yeah. it's another one of those things where like, there's just so much great stuff out there. I was talking to my partner about this, about, like there's just so much we have access to so many great works of art that it can be like exhausting to try to keep up with that people i've seen people's year in lists who have very similar taste to mine or who kind of live in the same world that i do and there's three or four records that i'm just like i don't know who the hell that is i've never heard this and it's like somebody's favorite record of the year who i respect you know i think that's really yeah. exciting um, yeah, I used to feel very much like, uh, oh, I can't say that I haven't heard this. I have to appear knowledgeable. Now it's like, no, I mean, there's just too much. There's just, and, and that's ex like, I'll, I'll live hopefully a long and healthy life and I'll never listen to all the music that normally I might love. There'll, I'll just never get to the end of it. Dude, I put out, once I was in the middle of reading your book, I started listening to Vic Chestnut and I put out there, I had not even heard the name Nick, Vic Chestnut. And it's one of those things where it's like, people just expected that I would know Vic Chestnut because yeah. of the stuff I write about and the guests I've had on the show. And now I realize how ridiculous it seems to people that I didn't know who Vic Chestnut was. But I didn't, and I, I just there's just so much out there, you know. And I, I was like, I'm sorry, y'all, I'm not that cool, I guess, because there there's just so much, and even and I love that about doing this work, is that even though I'm I'm constantly on the end with a lot of things, and I'm getting records before they come out, and I'm getting to listen to them and get to know them, you know, before anybody else even sees them, I still stuff slips by. And then later I get to this SG Goodman's record was out for me this year from last oh, year. Yeah. I, think. I didn't, I didn't even know. I didn't know it came out. I didn't know anything about it. And it was probably other than I probably listened to Alison Russell's outside child more than anything this year. But other than that, I probably listened to SG Goodman's record that came out like a full year ago. Yeah. Well, that's funny. Cause the Alison Russell, I keep seeing on your endless and I'm just like, how did this slip by me? Like I heard stuff in that vein. I heard, you know a lot of stuff and i heard the name but why did i not hear that i don't know so yeah that's, that's some of my homework dude I, I, more homework for you when i release my i, I got to interview her and uh I, when oh. i release my when i when i release that episode listen to it she um there's a video it's on youtube i can send it i'll send you the link yeah but she learned of her grammy nominations while i was interviewing her so like we're wrapping up the interview like you and I are right now, like coming, yeah. you know, finishing up, coming to the end. And her partner comes in the room and 
I should have told you that. I should have just sent you the damn link. <laughs> but, but I'll send you the I'll email you the link to the video because it's just the most special moment I've had doing this. It's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I, I literally I was about to uh, um, click on t- into this meeting when I saw that Rolling Stone had named "Where the Devil Don't Say" one of its top books of 2021, and so I had to like run downstairs and tell my wife and run back up here and and uh yeah so dude congratulations well you. deserved I, I oh man it was it was i it, it, it i'm just i'm on cloud nine right now so getting that and then doing this it's just ah uh, it's it's a, what a life i lead it's i am so stoked for you oh my so, god that's awesome ah oh, well deserved dude that, thank you man you. I, i'm I, it doesn't feel real. None of this feels real. None of this feels like this is life. This is just all feels like some weird science fiction dream or something. I don't know. Yeah, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I don't know. I'm just gonna appreciate it. I, I love it. Love it. That's great, man. Well, you did you did the work, right? You you had a vision. You did the work. The the book book is beautiful. Where the devil don't stay, y'all go out and get it. Everybody listening, they've already heard me rave about it a million times, and you, I I did my review under two, uh, which I also do on the end of an episode. So yeah. like I forget which episode I did that with, but um, you can hear me read it also. Um, and then th- that review is available on marinadepodcast.com slash magazine. Man, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking this time. Oh man, I, I enjoyed every minute of it. And uh, again, thanks for your interest. Thanks for your support. And I, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm one of the great things about doing this whole project is running into people like you who, who have these great, interesting perspectives and who do really amazing work. And uh, yeah, so it's been a pleasure. I'm, I'm honored to be on here. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you again and have a wonderful uh, rest of your day and want to have a wonderful new year. You too. You too. And hopefully our, we'll see you at the rock show. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right, dude. Later. Take care, man. Steven Dusner, y'all. Thank you so much, Steven. StevenDusner.com for all things. Steven, this was such a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. MarinadePodcast.com for all things the marinade, including written pieces, photography, our online store, and more. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Subscribe and give us a five-star rating on your podcast app. Tell a friend about the show. These are all free ways to support the marinade. And if you really like what we're doing, please consider joining our Patreon community, where for just a few bucks a month, you can gain access to Patreon-exclusive content like our show, Jason's Journey, where I talk about the moments that shape my creative life and provide a window into the process of making the marinade. The last two episodes of Jason's Journey have been really special. Uh, We had part two of episode 102 with Van Plating over there. 
where we talked about the uh, our experiences at Americana Fest and uh, just got down about life and creativity. Uh, we also just recently released a conversation with Jordan Foley and Thomas Wynn. Those guys are in the studio making a record right now. I've heard these songs for uh, some time now. Jordan's a friend of mine. I, I have the honor of getting to see him play often, and y'all are going to love this record. Um, that one's actually available for free, so if you want to get a sense of what the Patreon is like and um, you're, you're, before you make a commitment, check that out. I also try to post what I'm getting down on, which is an examination of the art that has me inspired at the moment, which I always put my guests on the spot about, and so I try to do the same myself. Sometimes we get together for Patreon happy hours, patreon.com slash podcast if you're interested. If you want to support the show financially, but you don't want to commit to a monthly subscription, maybe you just like this particular episode, you can Venmo or PayPal us at The Marinade. All the money goes right back into the making of the show, um, equipment for the show, uh, plane tickets for me to go cover a, a festival or a show somewhere. Um, it's all It all goes right back into the work that we do. But uh, above all, it, above everything else, we're just grateful for you listening and spreading the word about The Marinade. This is normally the time uh, where I would share my review under two, but life has been very hectic lately in the best ways, and so I have not had a chance to write a new review under two, although lots of things have me inspired at the moment. So that'll be coming up. Hopefully with the next episode, I can get a little bit of uh, relief and some time to sit down and write for you. Y'all, thank you so much for listening. Check out Steven's book. It's absolutely outstanding. Hopefully you got that through the conversation. Those of you who have read the book, um, I'd love for you to share over on uh, socials You know uh, what you think about the book. Make sure you tag Steven and, and tag the marinade and get a, get a dialogue going about this book. Um, it's just really one of the most important bands of my lifetime is the drive-by truckers um perhaps the most important band uh for me personally in my lifetime and so i'm thankful that steven uh did justice to their story and uh, i'm really looking forward to to further work from him y'all until next time go out and create something cheers <laughs>